0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half-hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Well, it's been a tough year, or thereabouts, and additionally, it's been almost three years since this program took a vacation. So we're packing up and heading out for a little R&R until September, but not before we check in with the Giuseppe Center's executive director, Cheryl Coughlin, who has some exciting news about that great Wallawa Valley cultural resource. Nathan Weinbender will also be here with his response to a new film that's creating quite the buzz, and we'll reminisce with a couple of musical features from our first year, all the way back in 2018. Music by Antonin Vorjak, played by Stephen Huff, one of our featured artists that year, takes us in. This is Northwest Arts Review. On this program, we've checked in periodically with the Giuseppe Center in Joseph, Oregon, about the programs they offer and the exhibits they present. Today, though, the center proudly announces a signal event that will enable them to deepen the lively presence of the arts in the Wallawa Valley. Center Executive Director Cheryl Coughlin shares the good news with us. It's a pleasure to talk to Cheryl Coughlin, director of the Giuseppe Center for Arts and Culture in Joseph, Oregon, a place that I really love and uh, try to get there. It's it's a bit of a go to get there, but uh, definitely worth it for those uh, in the Inland Northwest. So greetings, Cheryl. Well, thanks.
1: Having me, Jim. I'm excited to be here and tell you all about what we do.
0: Right. And I think uh, many of our listeners are familiar with the work of the Giuseppe and some of its history. But uh, just to kind of fill in the blanks and maybe introduce those who are unfamiliar to it, uh, the Giuseppe is a wonderful, well, it's a wonderful concept, but it's also a wonderful space in downtown Joseph. And uh, you have been in that building for how long now? We've been
1: here for about nine years, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people walk in and they say, "I don't get it. You're, we're in Joseph, and this is called the Josephi Center. Like, <laughs> what? What's the connection there?" And then I go into the whole story about Alvin Josephi, who was a journalist for Time Magazine, and he just he found while he was working there. The Nez Per story and it brought him all the way to Joseph, Oregon. And many years while he still worked in New York City, he drove out here in his station wagon with all of his kids and spent the summer here and drove back and eventually retired here. He has a long legacy, not just working at Time, but he also helped found uh, another nonprofit called Fish Trap. And when Fishtrap decided to uh, move the library out, this center was just getting started. And we thought, huh, the library might be a really good addition to this. And that's how it started.
0: Right. And it's an extensive collection of uh, history of the the Western U.S. And it kind of forms the the nucleus of the core of uh, who you are and what you do there at uh, the Giuseppe Center. And of course, it does have a very healthy component of the history of the Nez Perce people and their relationship to that part of the world. Well, you were searching for, to take us back now to the space that you're in, you were looking for a place to settle, and this became available all those years ago.
1: Yeah, there were a a group of artists and um, community members that kept saying, well, you know, Joseph has a big uh, art scene here, but there's no art center for people to go and take classes and um, show their art. And while we have galleries and we have bronzes on Main Street, we just kind of felt like this was the next step. and." At one point, they were walking by this building, this group of people, and they said, you know, that building's been empty for a long time. Well, the building happened to just be going into foreclosure. And unbeknownst to everyone, one of the people in that group had um, a family member pass away and leave her some Mm -hmm. money. And she said, you know what, I'm going to buy that building. And we had the cart before the horse, so we had the building before we had a full plan. But uh, basically, our building was built in the 1980s, like, I think, 1984 or 85, and it was built to be a bank. And it's a beautiful wood building. Um, When you walk in, you just feel the warmth of the wood, and uh, it's such a pleasant setting. And so it it goes from being a bank... Then it was an Italian restaurant, and now it's an art center. Mm -hmm. So after purchasing the building, we kind of got our our ducks in a row and put together a strategy. And now we've gone from a very small budget and a lot of volunteers to a staff of seven or eight people. And we are fully committed to uh, providing art education throughout Willowa County and eastern Oregon as well as educate people about the Nez purse and give them the window and opportunity to come to back to their homeland and show their artwork and tell their stories. And it just feels like the right place. It's right on Main Street, and we also have monthly exhibits. So we probably have about eight, eight exhibits a year that, where we highlight local artists, And we have a little art shop where we sell Alvin Josephi books and lots of other local authors. And then we have local crafts that are for sale by local artists. So right now we've just grown and uh, exponentially. And I'm just super excited that we're now in the position to own the building. So we did have a capital campaign and we raised the money and uh, we are going to finish the process and closing on the building, I believe, today.
0: Well, that's truly exciting. And that was no small amount of cash that had to be gotten together for this project, because my understanding is that it's around $600,000 that you raised?
1: That's correct. Um, The building itself, we were really lucky because we just reimbursed the um, Ann Stevens who purchased the building In all the costs that she put into it and if we had to buy it at market value it would have been double maybe even triple Mm -hmm. so she really gave us a screaming deal and we can't thank her enough Um, so yes we raised money to purchase the building and then the other part the hundred and fifty thousand additional funds will be to make repairs on the building um, the building needs to be restained and chinked, and we have some um, ADA-type things that we need to fix. And, yeah, so we are um, – that's our next step.
0: hmm And definitely anytime you get uh, a, a house or any other building that is of any kind of certain age, there, there are always things to be done, and especially in the, the log construction like the, the center is. Well, uh, there's work to be done to do necessary repairs, but also there are celebrations to be had, yes?
1: Oh, most definitely. Um, about a year ago, we merged with the Willow Valley um, Arts Council, and several programs that they had been doing for over 40 years have now landed in our, our programming lap, and we are taking on uh, this celebration 39th year of the Willow Valley Festival of Arts and during that weekend we're going to celebrate the purchase of the building and also just have the festival as we were unable to have it last year so this will be an extra special year
0: that's right because there's so much that uh, went by the boards in this last uh, <laughs> in this last year and some that it's really good that be able to do something on a more or less normal footing as we go forward into that uh, great uh, celebration in September. And you've got a call to artists out for the the festival, yes?
1: We do, and um, I hope that anyone that's interested, they can go on our website, and um, the artwork is due August 1st, and you have to go through a system called CAFE, Um, callforentry.org is their website. And you can go on our website or you can go on their website, search Wallowa Valley Festival of Arts. And after uh, August 1st, jurors will take a look at the artwork and decide what will be in the show. And then the actual show gets hung and starts the big night, big festival, starts on September 17th. And then the 18th, we've got lots of different things. We've got an art walk, we have a quick draw, and uh, um, a silent auction, as well as music throughout the weekend. And the 19th, we usually do a classical concert.
0: All right. Well, it be a, a jam-packed September, and I hope a, a really good summer for you because, of course now we are pretty much free to uh, get up and walk about the cabin at our leisure and uh, maybe find ourselves in the Wallowa and find ourselves in Joseph. And if, Especially if it's your first time in the valley, uh, just make haste to go to the Josephi Center. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, Cheryl Coughlin, thank you for filling us in on the cause for celebration and filling in uh, some blanks. Also, for those who may not know the Giuseppe Center all that well. And we wish you a, a terrific summer and uh, great busyness around the center. And, of course, we will try to get back in touch with you before the festival in September.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I hope people take the time to check out Joseph's not just the Josephi Center. It's a wonderful place, and it remains so special because it is remote. We did say something at the beginning about that. So, um, yeah, I hope people will take the time and check it out. Thank you so much, Jim.
0: Our pleasure. Find out more about the center at Josephi—that's Joseph y.org Before there was Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda made himself a star with the musical In the Heights. It has now been translated into a film, playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max, which Nathan Weinbender says is a rousing, if old-fashioned, piece of entertainment.
2: As with so many Broadway shows, In the Heights is about everyday people with big dreams that have yet to be realized, which they sing about in flashy, full-throated fashion. The story originated on the stage, its 2008 production winning four Tonys and launching the career of star and composer Lin-Manuel Miranda, who was inspired by his childhood amongst the Dominican and Puerto Rican communities of New York's Washington Heights. As in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, the action here is limited to a single New York borough in the midst of an oppressive heatwave. In the Heights has a sprawling ensemble cast, but it mostly revolves around two couples, The first is Uznavi, played by Anthony Ramos, who owns the corner store where so much of the movie's action is set, and Vanessa, played by Melissa Barrera, who works at the local salon. The second couple is Nina, played by Leslie Grace, back home after a semester at Stanford, and Benny, Corey Hawkins, the star employee of the taxi dispatch station owned by Nina's father, Jimmy Smits. Yes, they have aspirations that extend beyond the neighborhood. Uznavi dreams of returning to his birthplace in the Dominican Republic. Vanessa dreams of being a designer, collecting fabric scraps from the dumpster behind the fashion academy. Nina feels like an imposter in her old neighborhood, where she's seen as a success, and like an outsider at her mostly white university. Everyone else, meanwhile, buys lotto tickets from Uznavi's store, dreaming of winning it big and finally escaping their drudgery. The movie is, of course, set in a fantasy world where everyone breaks out into song and knows all the same dance steps, and yet the sets look real, lived in, the public pool, the hair salon, the basketball courts, the bodega. That's typical of director John M. Chu, a former dancer whose earliest credits include some Step Up sequels and a couple Justin Bieber concert films. He knows how to bring energy and kineticism to his musical numbers, though he relies too often on medium and close-up shots that sometimes obscure the elaborate choreography. The film's editing style, in which rhythmic cutting does the heavy lifting, is more in keeping with contemporary music videos than classic movie musicals, which prioritize the movements of the dancers above all else. There are still some terrific musical moments, buoyed by Miranda's now trademark blend of hip-hop, spoken word poetry, and Latin pop. 96,000, the number in which everyone pines for Powerball winnings, references Busby Berkeley, and When You're Home begins as a romantic duet that blooms into a multicultural block party. Perhaps the best stretch of the film begins with a dance-off inside a roiling club crowd, continues through a blackout, and ends with hundreds of stories, in which the neighborhood's resident abuela, played by Olga Merediz, wanders through ghost-like subway trains that recall her past in the Dominican Republic. Maybe it's fortuitous that In the Heights should hit theaters, months before Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story, since Miranda's show feels almost like a rebuke of the most dubious elements of that Bernstein-Sondheim classic. Although much has been written about the lack of Afro-Latinos in the film's main cast, This is a movie about gentrification creeping into communities and robbing them of personality and history, and about the immigrants who look on while clinging to their cultural identities. The details of this story are contemporary, but the themes are timeless, and yet it's also the sort of old-fashioned entertainment we don't get much of anymore. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm
0: Nathan Weinbender. Nathan Weinbender is one of the critics on Spokane Public Radio's Movies 101. Heard Friday evenings at 6.30 on KPBX, and available as a podcast at spokanepublicradio.org. The very places you can find this program, Northwest Arts Review. For the rest of the program today, we dip into some material from our first year, beginning with a chat with the musician who is part of the Festival Amadeus in Whitefish, Montana. Summer music festivals offer unique opportunities for musicians to perform, explore new repertory, and have some fun. I talked with violinist Yevgeny Kutik during last year's Festival Amadeus, and he had this to say about the festival experience.
3: Well, it's it's interesting. I I was talking about this with a number of people over the past couple of days. Festivals are a completely, completely different thing. Uh, than from like what I do regular season, um, you know I I very much like here in White Whitefish. I'm I'm glad to be here a, a second time. I mean part of part of the reason I came back is first of all this place is stunningly beautiful, and most likely I wouldn't come here, you know otherwise. Um, and but more so there's there's a sort of relaxed like, inclusive, happy, sort of community-like atmosphere that encourages creativity and music-making. And it's just, it's just, like, a sort of calmer existence. And every summer, most summer festivals I've done, that's kind of been the theme. It's, like, musician colleagues coming together from all over the world to just make music, like hang out, mm-hmm. have a good time. Like you grow from it both musically, probably you grow from it from it as a person. Um so it's very it's very different. I mean just to compare this week like this week I I have actually been fairly busy because for the past 3 nights I've been playing and tonight I'll be playing something a concert every night. But it's a little more relaxed and like for example I just got back from like a 5 hour hike. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I mean like Regular season, I've I've seen so much in town. Regular season, I fly in. Mm -hmm. I take a car or whatever. Someone takes me to the hotel. Mm -hmm. I chill out. I practice. I go to my first Mm -hmm. rehearsal. I might do an outreach event. I wake up, do some business, uh, practice a little rehearsal, rehearsal, outreach event, maybe concert, or maybe repeat another day, then concert, concert, Mm -hmm. early, early, early morning flight back home. Practice, prepare for. That. So really, during the year, people are always like, "Oh, you must have seen, you must have seen Tokyo," or like, "You saw all these places." And I'm like, honestly, I've seen, I've seen nothing. <laughs> I've seen the airport, I've seen the hotel, I saw the concert hall, and I maybe, maybe saw a restaurant or two and one, one random street. And that, and that's what's kind of awesome about weeks like this is that I can actually say I did so much stuff this mm-hmm, week mm-hmm. because it's just been a little more relaxed.
0: Another international figure we talked with in 2018 was pianist Stephen Huff. As part of a new releases interview, I asked Stephen this question. In terms of our modern world and just the ubiquity of music, it's like there are taps open all around us, all kind of flowing with music or spewing music or however you would like to, to uh, talk about that. What is your suggestion to us as as people living in this modern world to to carve out that uh, that kind of attention, if you
4: will, that's necessary to to make the magic happen? That's a very interesting analogy, James, about the taps open. I think you're absolutely right. I think ironically, one thing we need to do if we love music a lot is to turn some of the taps off. Um, So I think that all music begins in silence. And I think in in a way, our own listening to it needs to begin in silence, at least for a little while uh, to create that space. It's a bit like putting a piece of paper. You know, you can't write on anything until you have a a blank piece of paper in front of you, unless you're going to scroll over something else that's written there already. So I think that that sense of space and silence is very important and then to try to choose the tap uh, that we're going to to drink from in that particular moment, because we can't drink from every tap all at once. Um, So it's very important to to select the right one and, you know, to take the size of cup that you really think is appropriate. If you don't have much time, then don't take a great big um, bucket to to the tap, you know. So I think it's, it's with everything, really. I think it's true, and I need to learn this lesson, as, as we all do. You know, with eating, too. We, we all tend to um, to scoff down food, and we eat hurriedly, and we're rushing around. Um, I think it's very important to savor beautiful things. Uh, and we all, however an urban a life we live, we, we're all surrounded by very beautiful things in our lives. There are trees almost everywhere in the world, somewhere... Um, there are beautiful people, there are beautiful smiles on people's faces, uh, we, we hear beautiful sounds, and I think really it's, we, we need to try and, and focus really on those, to pay attention to those. We can't do it all the time, and we shouldn't, you know, beat ourselves up about it, but I think as long as each day we, we, we relish something, I think then that's a day that's been well lived. And here is Stephen Huff playing his own composition,
0: Osmanthus Romp. close our time together, another trip back to 2018, and Vern Windham's conversation with farmer and flutist Alicia Milkey. It's about a great inland Northwest institution, the Fair Play Concert Hall, a.k.a. the Milky Family Barn.
4: Describe the lovely barn that your dad built and its dual purpose.
5: Yes, it was originally designed, you know, not only to perhaps hold animals on the bottom floor, but thinking of a good workable barn and usable barn to have a second floor is usually a hay loft. But he had two daughters, one that played basketball and one that was interested in music. Um, and so he put made the size of the barn big enough for a full regulation half court for a basketball. And I went up there, and it's got these big, huge, tall ceilings and rafters, and it's just amazing acoustics. And so, we decided that'd be an excellent place to not only play basketball, but to have some music concerts in there. So, it's really lovely, beautiful live space, and kind of our only challenge is to get a piano up to the second mm-hmm. floor because of course the performance space is on the second floor and not the first mm-hmm. so that was kind of fun this year we moved our own piano up there with a lot of ingenuity and, and help from farmers knowing how to put things together so mm-hmm. it's a great space.
4: That completely describes farmers doesn't it? Yes. Knowing how to put things yeah. together.
5: I said dad we have to get a piano up to the second floor he goes okay
4: mm-hmm. and you
5: know
0: <laughs>
4: <If need laughs> research be, <they'll>...
5: later and <laughs> using tools and
4: it was a lot of fun. Or they'll just go off and build the machine to do
5: exactly. it exactly yep yep he <laughs> installed it. a few new things and yeah. was out there measuring and I said are you, are you sure this is gonna work and he goes yeah 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 it'll totally work and I said are, are you sure it's gonna work you know you're not moving a piece of equipment it's a lovely Steinway instrument and he goes oh no it's, it's fine it just moves like anything else <laughs> all right
0: Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. We had help from Vern Wyndham, and we're grateful for the contributions of Cheryl Coughlin, Nathan Weinbender, Yevgeny Kutik, Stephen Huff, and Alicia Milkey. taking us out some music from the Fair Play Concert Hall with Alicia Milkey and Kevin Garnica. As mentioned, we're putting this program on pause for the summer in order to charge our batteries and refresh as the Inland Northwest Arts Community begins the long trek toward post-pandemic normal operation. Have a great July and August, and please join us in the fall for Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.